Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Hi, mining community, and welcome to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining podcast. And today's guest is Andrew Reed, COO of Hastings Technology Metals, an AS ex-listed leading Australian rare earths company with two rare earths projects in Western Australia. Rare earths are critical in the manufacture of of a wide variety of new consumer and industrial technologies. Uh, This can range from flat screen TVs and energy efficient light bulbs to hybrid cars, wind turbines and military hardware. So I'm going to let Andrew explain more details around that um, and obviously around around Hastings Technology. So I want to welcome Andrew Reid. How are you doing, Andrew? Yeah, thanks, Rob. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, no worries. Appreciate you taking the time to do this podcast. I want to, first of all, get an understanding of your actual background. So maybe when you graduated back in the day um, and how your sort of career developed to where you are now. And then I've got some obviously questions. I want to find out more about Hastings Technology, uh, find out a little bit more about obviously the rare earths market. So yeah, just appreciate if you can uh, give us a, a little bit about your background. Yeah, no worries, Rob. I left university after having completed a geology degree and then travelled from Sydney over to Western Australia where, where many mining professionals start their career. And I spent the first 10 years or so working in uh, numerous gold projects in and around Kalgoorlie before I, you know, curiosity got the better of me and I got a job in uh, in Africa and whereby, you know, I continued to work there for pretty much the next uh, 15 years, uh, working on a, a number of projects from gold in West Africa to uranium in, in Eastern Africa. And then um, I worked with a company called First Quantum where we started up a very large, uh, low-grade polymetallic mine right up in the north northern part of the Arctic, inside the Arctic Circle of Finland. So that was quite exciting. And then uh, after that, came back into, into the Asian region, where I was working with a company called uh, Finders Resources on, on a quite interesting high-grade copper deposit, where we were doing a heat bleach of a copper sulphide, which was quite unusual and the only project of its type in the world which was very successful in terms of its commissioning and ramp up. And then um, we got taken over and that led me to to Hastings Tech Metals. Okay. Before we go on to Hastings, obviously, technology metals, how's different working? Obviously, you worked as an expat for, for 15 or so years. What would you say the main differences are working in Africa compared to working back in Australia? There are many things. I think it really depends, Rob, what you want to get out of your experience. And for me, um, there are a couple of things. I, I, you know, I was very sure I wanted to travel, which was exciting. Uh, I wanted to explore new cultures. And I think 
the people of uh, particularly the sub-Saharan Africa, they have wonderfully diverse cultures which teach Westerners like myself a lot about family, about friendship and about, I think, many of the things that that Western society has really lost. And uh, for me, that was to be part of that and to learn and to reconnect with that was, for me, very eye-opening. And I made some wonderful friends over there. So for me, there was huge benefits in, in being in those third world countries. Yeah. So I suppose it depends on the actual individual as to what they what they want to get out of working as an expat. And it's not all about money. It is probably about experiences, learning different cultures, learning a different way, different way people do things. And obviously mining is probably mining, but there's obviously a lot more challenges, I'd imagine, working in a third world country than obviously working in Australia. I think after having come back to Australia after a long time, I think you leave those third world countries with having developed a huge amount of patience because the skill levels are so low, the education levels are also so low. And, you know, when you're working with with these individuals, you're not just their supervisor or their employer, you're their you're their friend, you're their confidant, you're their doctor, you're, you're many different things. And that, for me, was um, some of the most rewarding experiences I've ever had in my life. Mm. So the working relationship between employer and employee sounds like it's a lot different working in an expat role than working, say, within Australia, within your own country. Oh, I mean, absolutely, absolutely, because just that that education and skill level just creates a huge gap, and you need to be able to work at all different levels. You need to be able to work at a, a very low skill level, and then you know there's a lot of expats also in those African countries, so you need to be able to work at a high level. So it teaches you, it gives you a diverse range of experience, and I think. You know, as you develop in your career and if you want to grow, go up the tree into leadership, I think these are all very practical, very important skills that you need and how to listen and how to be able to function with all different types of people in your team. So you can, all the skills I learned in Africa, still, you can bring back and you can still apply them uh, into the Australian context very much. Yeah. So it's probably a good thing to do some expat work if you're obviously able to, to pick up these skills that you wouldn't necessarily would do if you just, say, worked in your own country, i.e. worked in Australia, you may not necessarily develop those particular skills to the extent that you would working as an expat. Expat work is not not for everybody. I think, you know, they're very, the long rosters, they're very difficult places, uh, difficult conditions where you have to work, you know, obviously the lack of medical facilities. I mean, it's a personal decision, but... For my example, I'm, you know, I've developed into the person with this type of skills that I am only because of those experiences that I've had in working in these different countries. And uh, I, I personally wouldn't uh, exchange that for anything. Yeah. Okay, want to move on. So can you give the listeners a brief overview of Hasten Technology Metals? Obviously, maybe even just a little bit about the company, maybe just before you started or if it started with yourself. Um, and give the audience a, a brief overview of, of the company. Yeah, no, thanks, Rob. Look, Hastings Tech Metals has been around for a while, 
it really kick-started in earnest uh, in 2014 when the company changed hands and uh, the current executive chairman, Charles Liu, bought into the company and really started in earnest with an exploration program around our flagship project called Yanjibana. And they, Charles and uh, the other technical staff at the time realised very early that the results coming back from Yanjibana were extremely rich in rare earths, but more than that, they were, they were hugely dominant in two rare earth elements called neodymium and praseodymium, or what we call NDPR. And these two elements and the quantities that we have them at Yanjibana is without uh, without peer in the world. That We have the largest, the world's highest ratio of NDPR to total rare earths of any rare earth project in the world as it stands at the moment. And they realised this and they realised the significance of having a project with a large amount of this material and what it could do really for the electric vehicle market, the wind turbine market, and as you said, other uh, applications that are out in the marketplace at the moment. So the drilling around 2014 and over the subsequent years to prove up some of these economic deposits at Yanjibana have been um, very um, company-changing. The flagship uh, of Yanjibana has been very significant to Hastings. Um, So in the PR, what other things is that used for? Uh, And what kind of commodity or rare earth is it? Is it... A liquid is it a powder or is that what you turn into a powder or does it turn into a liquid just so the audience knows and, and for myself as well yeah. yeah the marketplace for rare earths is largely dominated by by china so they, they control about 80 percent of the mining uh, and the remaining 20 percent because because obviously outside of china which is also dominated by a, largely by a mine in Western Australia called Mount Weld of the company called Linus. So what you get when you mine rare earths, rare earths on the periodic table, they are a group of atomic numbers which are very low on the periodic table and they always occur together because they are essentially um, attached or attracted to each other by their atomic numbers. So when you mine rare earths, you can't just mine neodymium or lanthium or or europium, you get all of them together. And what you need to do then is you need to have quite complex processing plant and then you need to, first of all, extract the rare earths out of the ground. You need to concentrate them to an economic level and then you need to then go down the steps of separating them into a powdered oxide form and then further on down the line into different forms, uh, be it metals or other forms, which you can turn into their final products. Now, of course, Yanjibana has a lot of this neodymium and praseodymium elements. We need to take it into the oxide form, into the metal and alloying form uh, prior to their final use as a, a high power permanent magnet and it's these permanent magnets which are really the driving force for this tsunami of electric vehicles which is 
coming into the marketplace over the next three to five years, for which Hastings is now very well placed to be able to supply into that into that space. Okay. Um, you recently released uh, the significant milestone achieved EPA approval for Yanji Barna. Um, can you provide can you provide sort of some of the key highlights of this announcement? I think Rob, for for any mining project, the EPA permit or the which comes through the Environmental Protection Agency, their stamp of approval uh, is hugely significant. They are. They are the highest environmental authority in Western Australia. They are independent of the government. And what they do is they are the make or break point of whether or not your project is going to advance. So what the EPA of Western Australia have done is they've, in June this year, they gave us the stamp of approval. They said that the Yanjibana project is of low environmental uh, significance and that the the risks to the environment are quite low, and so they were happy for their recommendation to proceed to the environmental, the state environmental minister for final permitting and final approval, which has since happened as well. So now we have the EPA permit and the um, the signed um, letter from the minister saying that uh, the Angiwana project can proceed yeah. from from the environmental perspective. Yeah. So what does what does that that milestone actually mean for the company? It means that we can then now start to move into what we call the Tier 2 permitting system or the permitting level, which are really the, the more detailed permits that you, re- that you really need to get before you can do any real what we call hardcore construction activities on the ground. And there's two permits that uh, we require that we're working on at the moment. One's called the, the works approval and the other one's called the mining application. And both of these are significant and really critical so that we can get on the ground and start construction activities in earnest. Yeah. Um, can you tell us, obviously, a little bit more about the um, Yanji Barna project? Um, when do we expect the, the actual project to commence? There's a number of things that need to happen at the same time, and there are many different parallel streams that we're working on at the moment. What we've done so far to date is we've, generated a, we've got a mineral resource of 21.7 million tonnes, of which approximately 10.35 million tonnes is what we call the mining reserve. That mining reserve will give us a, a nominally about an 11-year mine life where we're designing a mineral processing plant that will nominally take about 1 million tonnes of ore feed per year. And that will generate a what we call a final a concentrate or a mixed rare earth carbonate and a quantity of about 15,000 tonnes on an annualised basis. So that 15,000 tonnes of carbonate will contain about 8,500 tonnes of rare earths, of which that will contain about 3,400 tonnes per annum of the two critical elements, the neodymium and the praseodymium. So that's the key ones. And that amount of product, that 3,400 tonnes per year, will, will really put Hastings on the world map in terms of rare earth production because that's about 6 to 7% of the NDPR market once we come online uh, nominally in 2022 at this stage. So, yeah. so we've generated a good solid resource. The high NDPR ratios are 
absolutely unrivaled by any of our peers and generates the low capex where nominally half the capital rates of, of many of our peer projects, the amount of NDPR where 50 to 100% higher than all of the other comparative projects that you get in Australia and elsewhere around the world. And so this, this NDPR ratio really drives very exciting set of economics that really puts the project in a really good position to be at the lead, leading edge of receiving finance over the next few months so that we are ready to, to get on the ground and, and start construction activities early in, uh, early in 2020. I would also say that we have actually have already received our early works permit from the uh, Western Australian government. So that means that we've able to start uh, construction of access roads. We've mostly built the uh, construction camp that's in place. Most of the dongers and the associated infrastructure is already in place there. So we actually have spent quite a lot of money on the ground and we're working very hard now to sort out both the, the equity and the debt portions uh, over the next few months. That will coalesce at the same time as getting these tier two permits that I mentioned just previously. And then we really are aiming to be on the ground uh, in, in the first quarter of, of 2020, which is very exciting for us. Yeah, and not too far away. <laughs> no, not yeah. too far away. And, uh, the, you, know, with the, you know, the team, we've got a, a very dedicated technical team here in Perth. We work very closely with our engineering partners, DRA uh, Pacific at the moment. And so we're doing a lot of the, the detailed design We've already put orders in for a lot of the long lead items. So we are not turning back. We are very confident that this project's going to get up and running and we'll continue to put uh, or continue to purchase more long lead items over the course of the next weeks and months in advance of, of this final funding arrangements. But uh, we're very confident that this is the next rare earth project or in fact the only rare earth project at the, at the current spot price which has any chance of, of getting up and running. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, obviously, about the uh, complex process plant. Can you just go into a little bit more detail as to how complex it is and the actual process that the, the rare earths will have to go through to get to the final stage? What I can talk about is what we're doing in WA. So we're building essentially what, what's called a hydrometallurgical plant it's got a fairly conventional, what we call a front end. It's a single stage crushing and grinding. It then goes through a four stage flotation circuit, by which stage then to get the, to liberate the rare earth, the rare earths occur in a mineral called monazite. And to release the rare earths, you need to do something called acid baking. And in monazite, after it's gone through flotation, you put it through a kiln, and our kiln is 75 metres long. It's uh, nominally four metres in diameter, and it's heated up to about 400 degrees C. And the monazite is essentially like a nut that you need to crack, and you need to open up the nut, and the, you need to liberate the rare earths. And then once it's gone through the kiln, you put it through the, the, the back end of the plant or the, the hydrometallurgical section, where you're really doing solid liquid separation to come up with a, with a final product that has a large amount 
of rare earths in the concentrate and tries to minimise the amount of waste products or gang material that's incorporated into your concentrate. We have an extremely efficient processing plant. As I said, we nominally are going to be putting in a million tonnes of ore in the front end and producing only 15,000 tonnes in the back end. So that's a rejection rate of almost 95, 98.5% of the material is able to be removed as gang material and stored and, and uh, encapsulated on site at, at Yanjibana, which includes some of the radioactive uh, elements that we've got, such as thorium and uranium. What's important for Yanjibana also is that in the ore, the, the grade of the NDPR is normally about 0.43 of 1% when it, when it enters the, uh, the crushing stage. And by the time it gets around to the final concentrate stage, it's in excess of, of 20%. So there's almost a 50 times upgrading. So we're very blessed that we have a group of deposits which have this very high NDPR to total rare earth ratio, but also are very conducive to being able to be to be upgraded and the gang minerals separated from the ore minerals. And that's why that's the, really what leads to the strength of this project and why uh, Yanjibana really is the only project that is likely to get up and running in the near term. I was going to ask, what obviously you've, you've worked in a few different commodities and obviously worked in Africa as well as Australia. How does the rare earths market differ from some of the other commodity markets that you worked in? Rare earth is completely unique to any other commodity, mainly because it's dominated and controlled so closely by China and the fact that, uh, you know, the way that, that the pricing is done, there's not a lot of transparency and there's not a lot of reference to rare earths in the marketplace. It's very difficult to understand a lot of the a lot of the rare earth markets done under long term contracts and also that that financiers that really does their head in rob because they can't hedge it and they can't mitigate risk around around rare earths but the fact is that the rare earths is such an important commodity now for the the electric vehicle industry and we've been getting uh, hastings has been in been getting tremendous support from Germany, uh, from the German uh, automotive sector, from the German government. They recognise uh, the importance of, of these minerals or these elements to them. And so we've been working very closely with a lot of uh, large large in- institutions in Germany to get this project up and running. Yeah. I mean, I suppose you mentioned obviously how scarcity the, the rare earth market is and obviously dominated by China. So I suppose it is educating all of these different types of stakeholders in how this sector is actually run because, it, like you said, it is run differently to other sectors. Um, so I suppose it is trying and testing and, and getting people, people educated, all the different people that are involved in the whole process of bringing a company like yourselves to the market and developing the rare earth rare sector so it's an education as well oh look absolutely i mean there's a huge amount of market awareness that needs needs to be talked about when you're talking about the yanjibana project you're not just talking about the project but you're talking about all of the fundamentals which go to build up rare earth so 
You know, we're not talking about a simple gold mine or iron ore mine, which which most people and financiers understand. We, we've got to talk about all the dynamics. So it makes the value proposition much, much more difficult. And the fact that there are many stages uh, in, the, in the processing chain or the value chain before you get to the final products, which are these, these very powerful uh, permanent magnets, which you can produce as a result of that. Yeah. Well, hopefully this platform does, um, and this is the whole reason why I do this podcast, is to educate the mining community. So appreciate, obviously, everyone listening. Hopefully they will obviously get something from this because it is something is uh, Rare Earths is obviously pretty unique if you're outside of China. So, um, yeah, appreciate you obviously providing this content. So as a uh, conclusion, what does the future look like for Hastings Technology Metals? We're certainly in uh, very exciting times. Hastings is sitting at the forefront of a new industry in terms of the way that we have relationships with our off-takers, with our financiers, the, the material, the commodity that we are producing, Rob, has not only benefits for Hastings, but in terms of being a green technology, in the fact that these electric cars are coming to the marketplace. I mean, Hastings, you know, we are going to benefit millions, in fact, just about everybody that's that's on the globe. So we uh, Hastings takes that responsibility very seriously and we're very excited by the opportunity that the, the Yangibana project is able to deliver us. And obviously our next steps are that we, we want to conclude financing and we want to get up and running and, and uh, start our construction activities as fast as possible. Once we start construction, we have about a two-year period where we can build the processing plant, and then uh, and then we'll look at um, we'll get the project up and running into, into steady-state operations, and then look at the other opportunities that that currently exist in the rare earth space. And they are there are numerous opportunities for, for further downstream processing or expansion opportunities, even at the Angibana project. So really, it's at the moment, our, our excitement is just limited by the amount of ideas that we can come up with. Yeah. So who's your client then? So if you, the obviously, the rare earths that you produce, who does that then go to? Is it then got, go through another process before then it may go to a car manufacturer? Or does it go directly to a car manufacturer, for instance, or someone that makes TVs, for, as another example. The market for, for permanent magnets is very widespread from, yep. your, from your military, as you mentioned, from your phone, from vehicles, and not just the permanent, not just the electric drive trains that are going to drive the, the rear wheels, but, you know, in your, in your wiper motors, in your, in your electric seats that move your seat up and down. I mean, these permanent magnets are now being used very widespread right throughout the world and will only increase in their capacity and as technology improves. So at the moment, we are producing at the Angibana, we will produce a concentrate. It will then go through a number of further processing steps before it's able to be turned into a, a product that you can generate a permanent magnet from. Once the permanent magnet is produced, it will then go back into into Europe, where these large uh, large automotive industries um, will take the magnet and put them into the drivetrains for the electric vehicles and and for other applications. Yeah, 
Okay, that's, that's interesting to know. And again, have the audience again learn something from it because again, just wondered how that process works from obviously you producing the rare rare earth product to to where, then where where does it go from there? So, no, pr- appreciate that. Well, thank you, Andrew, for taking the time to um, provide us with the, this information. And if someone wants to obviously get in contact with you to obviously ask you, may have some uh, ask you questions about Rare Earths or about Hastings Technology, how can they get in contact with you? Yeah, well, Hastings Tech Metals has a, has a website. Uh, we have an info email on the website. So people can just drop us a line through the info email and we'd, we'd be happy to, to make contact. Yeah. And are you on any social media platforms? Yep, we certainly are. We're on, uh, we're on Facebook and we're on LinkedIn, so you can find us in there as well. Yeah, no worries. And if, you, um, if you've got any other questions and, you wanna, and you're not, maybe not on those social media platforms, you can all um, email myself and I can forward those questions um, on and my email address is rob at mining-international.org well thank you for listening and until next time happy mining thanks for listening to dig deep the mining podcast if there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org Or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining.